I think four O's, four fives, they're not putting enough pressure on the force and they're not doing it the right way. I, I hate to see a four or five or really anybody relinquish control of that kitchen line and just hit a dink while they've got a, you know, their opponent is four feet behind the kitchen line, still working their way in. And still, you know, that person that's four feet back, that you've got to make them hit one more good reset. Okay, so we are back with another solo podcast. Um, for whatever reason, my solo podcasts have been doing a lot better than my podcast with Adam Stone. And I'm not really sure what that says about Adam or if that means we need to just fire Adam, get Adam out of here. I'm not really sure. Um, hoping he doesn't see this. We're going to have to uh, maybe make some cuts. I'll have to talk to the to the editing team about that. But um, we're just going to get right into it. We've got uh, same as the last solo podcast, um, just a few questions pickleball specific questions, basic stuff. And uh, yeah, the first question is pretty easy one. How do I hit, an, hit a harder overhead? How do I hit a harder overhead? And this is from Dylan Frazier. No, it's not from Dylan. I mean, if, you know, if it is from Dylan, let me know. Uh, Dylan, you can, you can show yourself. If you're watching this, stay tuned. Um, no, it's not from Dylan. But how do I hit a harder overhead? because not coming from a tennis background, it's not easy. You know, I played tennis my entire life. And if you've played tennis your entire life, you know that hitting an overhead as hard as you can is, is not too far off from a serve. And you've hit thousands of serves in your life. So it's really not that difficult. But if you didn't come from a tennis background, um, the overhead isn't as much of an intuitive shot. It's not the easiest thing to do. And I think that a lot of players, their first mistake with the overhead is they're trying to muscle it and they're hitting it like this. And it's, you know, they think that because they want to hit the ball as hard as they can, that they need to muscle the shot as if they were trying to push the ball as hard as they could. And that's actually the opposite of what you should be doing. So I would encourage you to think about it this way. If you wanted to throw a ball as far as you could possibly throw a ball, you wouldn't do it like this, muscling it. You would have a very loose arm because you're trying to move the ball as fast as possible, whether you're doing that consciously or subconsciously, that is how you throw a ball as far as you can. It's actually very loose and you're letting it go. You're releasing your arm in a, in a very loose, relaxed and quick way. So you're trying to move the ball as fast as it can go instead of as hard as it can go. And it's the exact same thing on an overhead. So for me, when I'm hitting an overhead, it feels the exact same way as it does when I'm throwing a ball. If I ever were to throw a ball as hard as I can, and I think a drill for you to do is stand at the kitchen line, take a pickleball, and throw it down so that it goes maybe just over the net and it bounces a couple feet, couple feet past the opposing kitchen line. So throw it, get that motion, do it 10 times, 20 times until you feel really comfortable with that motion. And then go out there and hit some overheads. And it's probably going to help. It definitely, um, you know, it's funny. It actually did help me because I needed it. Um, this is a little bit of a segue, but I think it's relevant. Is when I switched to playing lefty, I'd never hit a lefty serve in my life in tennis. Never hit a lefty overhead in my life in tennis. So in a way, it was kind of like my lefty game. I didn't really have a tennis background because I'd never played tennis lefty. And I had no muscle memory with that overhead with the left. And keep in mind, I got pretty good with my left hand and I was really serious about it. I played a lot of 5-0 tournaments. I got 
Silver at two five O's beat Grant Bond, skinny singles lefty. I've already mentioned that a couple times. Uh, shout out to Grant, great player. Well, maybe not, but um, anyways, it was really important for me because I had all the, the other stuff. I had no lefty overhead. It was horrible. Now it's not because I actually went out there and I said, okay, well, how do I replicate the mechanics of my righty overhead with this? I was going like this, just as you see tennis or non-tennis players, players without a tennis background at the overhead, they muscle it and they sidearm it and they're leaving so much power on the table. And I worked my way up to being able to hit a lefty overhead, not as hard as my righty overhead, but pretty close. And if I can do that, you can hit a pretty dang hard overhead with your, dom with your dominant hand because I'm not that strong with my left arm. It's my non-dominant arm. I felt very weak at first, but I treated it like a throw. So I was loose with my arm and I was also making contact nearly with a straight arm. So you need to be making contact way above your head. You're not sidearming it. You wanna maximize the amount of leverage that you have with your arm. So that's the most important thing here. How much leverage do you have here? Not a lot, a little more here and way more here. A straight arm with that much leverage, you'll be able to hit an overhead a lot harder. It's the same reason why most of us can hit a forehand harder than the backhand. Because with a forehand, we can extend fully. With a backhand, we can't. We have less, less leverage with the backhand. So I think those two things, uh, making sure you're loose and making sure your arm is near full extension when you're making contact, I think those are the two main drivers of power. I mean, we could get into shoulder turn using the legs, and I think those are important also, but I don't think they are the first thing you should focus on. I don't want to get your mind too cluttered. I mean, you're hit, when you're hitting an overhead, you're already waiting for the ball to drop. You have to make contact with it right at the right time. It's a lot to think about. So I'd say just focus on those two things for now. Let me know in the comments how it went. Get back to me. And then we can talk about the other stuff. Um, second question. The serve. The question is the serve. Okay. I think I'm supposed to talk about my philosophy on the serve and how it's changed. I'll, I'll just kind of work with it from there because I'm a pretty interesting case. I was voted the best serve, right? And maybe it's the best, maybe Deckel's the best. I think Ben's in that conversation also. But a year ago at this exact time, I was watching myself play and my serve was just this softest serve you've ever seen. I was actually made fun of, not only by my girlfriend, by people who weren't even close to me making fun of me saying, your serve is, you're such a strong, big human, and you're pushing the serve in softer than anybody I've ever seen. I think somebody, well, I won't, I won't mention the names, but I, I, I had no serve, right? And I was nervous to miss it. I had been taught that the serve was just a shot that you want to make. You just put it in the court. You don't miss it. You start the point. That's what pickleball is. That's why the serve is underhand for most of us. There's some players who serve it a little high, but that's not the point of this. So why am I serving the ball so softly? I wanted to make it. I didn't want to do anything with it. And I think the biggest change to my game in 2023 was that I started hitting the you-know-what out of the serve, hitting it as hard as I possibly could, basically. And that changed everything for me because people say the third shot drop is the most important shot in the game. At least there's, a, there's an argument for that. It's definitely a valid argument. Well, what's the shot that sets you up for the third shot drop? It's the serve. So. I noticed at least that the harder my serves were, 
the better or more easy my third shot drops were. Of course, that makes sense. You hit a hard serve to somebody that returns weak, your third shot's easy, you get into the kitchen. So that was huge for me. And I think it's essentially important for people to know that the serve is not just a shot that you push in. And if you are pushing it in, I think you're not living up to your full potential as a player. I mean, me personally, when I'm at these clinics, I'm teaching people that they should be serving the ball as hard as they can, or at least as hard as they can and feel comfortable with making nine out of 10 of them. So if you're making 10 out of 10 of your serves or 19 out of 20, I think you should be hitting it harder. I think you're actually making a mistake. And me personally, if, if I'm at 10 out of 10, or if I've made the last 20, I'm going to actively try to miss one. You'll see me at the tournaments. And I actually think I don't hit it as hard as I should at the tournaments. I hit it quite hard, but I think I can hit it harder. Uh, but I'm still a little scared to miss. We're still kind of working through that. And if I've made 20 serves in a row, I'm going to keep going and I'm going to keep hitting it harder and harder and harder, almost as if I want to miss one because it's just a quota. And I think if you have that nine out of 10 quota built in your mind, it's actually a really good way to detach from the result. You won't be as nervous about missing the serve because it's, well, I've made 10 in a row. I've made 12, 13 in a row. I can afford to miss one. It's in the budget, so to speak. So that's how I kind of came to terms with it. And it helped me a lot because trust me, however nervous you're afraid to miss the serve, I was more nervous. I was the most afraid to miss the serve. and. Again, I think however hard you can make it, nine out of 10 times. So you want to be missing one out of 10, I think. Um, so there is that. I think that's very important. What is the most underrated shot in pickleball? That's our next, next question. The most underrated shot in pickleball. Well, I actually think it's the fourth because people don't really talk about the fourth. and Everyone talks about the third, but what is the shot that is keeping the third back? What is the third competing with to try to get to the kitchen? Well, it's the fourth. And people don't really emphasize it. I think people work on their thirds a lot more than their fourths, and I think they should. The third is a lot harder than the fourth when looking at it at face value, because the fourth is just a roll out of the air, maybe, where you let it bounce and you hit it. It's not necessarily requiring as many repetitions. And... It's just a lower difficulty shot, the fourth is. But I don't think that by any means makes it less of an important shot. Um, I think the third might be a little more important than the fourth, but I think the fourth is extremely important. And I think that's probably, it's definitely one of my better shots. I don't know if it's the biggest part of my game, but keeping people back and not letting them come into the kitchen is a wildly underrated skill. So... I think you should keep that in mind because, you know, people talk about, okay, well, the third and the fifth, you know, transition is so important, right? And of course it is important. You need to get to the kitchen. Well, then doesn't that make the fourth and the sixth, keeping them back, not letting them come into the kitchen equally as important? It's, it's kind of crazy that, that nobody talks about the fourth. For me, I work on the fourth a lot. And there's, you know, I think you have to be conscious when you're playing against somebody, how good are they at force? How good are they at keeping people back, whether it's out of the air, off the bounce? And so the next question would be naturally from that is how do you get better at hitting force? I think it comes down to an aggressive mentality and knowing your opponent, knowing maybe are they better at resetting out of the air? 
or are they better resetting when it bounces? There's certain players, for me at least, I feel much better taking a reset off the bounce. It bounces and right as it's rising, I'll put that reset in the kitchen, or at least I'll try, right? I won't always. I'm easier. That's easier for me than it is to take the ball out of the air. But Anna was telling me yesterday that she feels more comfortable resetting out of the air. So it's, it's just, it's player dependent, but it's honestly an art. Keeping people back, not letting them get to the kitchen is in its own way an art and it's fun. And I'm quite good at it. And I think it's, it's important to be able to do it on both sides, off the bounce and out of the air. So that's where it gets a little tricky because there are players who are not comfortable doing it off the bounce on the backhand side. Um, I mean, JW is an unbelievable player, but if you make your third bounce to JW's backhand, he'll usually just slice it and sort of invite you in. And I think that that's sort of a lost opportunity. Um, I think that the, you know, you look at Ben and one of his biggest strengths is he'll actually, he'll take the forehand off the bounce and he'll keep punishing the four at the six. And it makes it so tough to get to the kitchen against him. And he'll actually run around his backhand sometimes to do so. So for me, if it bounces to my backhand or my forehand, I'm always going to hit that fourth. And I think an underrated skill here is knowing that you can make your opponent move from side to side. So maybe take, make them, instead of going right at their feet, go you know, at the depth of where their feet are, but then maybe two feet to their right or three feet to their right or their left. Make them move. Because if there's one thing I know as somebody who's not the most talented resetter that was never one of my talents is it's a lot harder to hit a reset on the move than it is when you're standing directly where you were standing a second you're right there you can push it in that's not too hard but um i think when you're hitting fourths to get better at fourths know the person you're playing know their tendencies look to make them move and look to be aggressive i think people can be a lot more aggressive on fourths than they actually are if you have a fourth that bounces above the height of the net, because a lot of them do, there's going to be some high thirds that bounce and it's above net height. I think you should be speeding that ball up every single time as they come in. Reason number one, if they're on their way in, if they're crashing, and if you speed that one up right at them, that momentum that's bringing them forward, it's probably going to send their fifth out. So if they're crashing forward and you speed it up right at their body, you can probably let that one go. I've had a good amount of success just letting that one go. And I don't let much go. I really, my biggest weakness is tracking. I'm not going to leave the ball too often, but you know you can leave that one because their entire weight is going forward right at you. That next one's going out, usually. Um, and if you're comfortable at all speeding it up at somebody when they're at the kitchen, 14 feet in front of you, even if they're not necessarily on their way in crashing, like as was previously described, maybe they're three feet behind the kitchen line and they're sort of making their way in they're not crashing but they're doing it you know pretty casually taking their time i would keep peppering the ball at them in transition keep being aggressive i think you should only really relinquish control of the kitchen line and dink that ball when you have to because you know i mean the pros do it so well but the pros are also significantly better in transition than the five o's and the four fives. i think that's actually the part of the game that gets that jumps the most so if four fives aren't as good in transition, but I bet anybody's able to speed up the ball. I mean, speeding up the ball is your first instinct, right? You can, you can hit the ball at somebody, 
I think that you should be doing it way more often. I think four O's, four fives, they're not, they're not putting enough pressure on the force and they're not doing it the right way. I, I hate to see a four or five or really anybody relinquish control of that kitchen line and just hit a dink while they've got a, you know, their opponent is four feet behind the kitchen line, still working their way in. And still, you know, that person that's four feet back, that you've got to make them hit one more good reset, which is not always easy. I'll tell you, personal experience. All right, we've got another question. Hands battles. How do we improve in hands battles? I find myself jumping in hands battles. Well, I jump on the court more than anybody. Um, I do probably a thousand split steps a match, which is my own personal tick. I wouldn't teach that. Um, and jumping in hands battles is actually something that I don't do. It's, it's funny. If you, you might go back and watch me play, um, you'll see that I'm split stepping, I'm split stepping, I'm split stepping. And then when a hands battle starts, I become completely still with my feet. And I know I don't do that consciously. It just happened. I think my brain just corrected for the way to actually participate in a hands battle the right way, which is to do it without jumping. Um, you see players jump pretty often especially on backhand counters, they'll just jump back. You know, Greg Dow comes to mind. And I think the issue with that is that first counter might be all right. You know, jumping on a first counter isn't the worst thing to do. Um, it might actually give you a better chance of getting it if it's really high. And if you feel comfortable doing that, it's fine, maybe. But as the hands battle continues, that re-counter, that third and fourth, if you're jumping three or four inches off the ground, you might still be, you know, just landing back on the ground when the next one comes at you it really puts yourself in a tough spot and as you get better the hands battles get longer right usually um or at least more come back so i think that's something you can't do and I, do i necessarily have a tip to avoid jumping in hands battles i can't say that i have a good one because again i don't prepare for these questions i just I, it's more fun for me to just get them on the fly and see what i can do um I really don't think that I have a tip. I think I did it naturally. It's just I didn't jump. I stayed still. I think one tip would maybe be to be as, you know, try to remember to be as quiet with the body as you can in these hands battles. So, you know, who's got great hands? J.W. Johnson. He's not moving at all. His, his legs, his feet are stationary, and it's all this, just hands right in front of him. And I think that is probably the best way to do it. You want to kind of limit I mean, you almost have no time in these situations. You're not thinking. You're not thinking, oh, counter this, counter this. There's no thoughts. It's just just a reaction. So I think it's important to try to limit any sort of outside or extracurricular activity that's going on. Um, so, yeah, I would say maybe maybe bend your knees a little more. I think if you stay with your knees bent, maybe with a wider base, and you kind of focus on your base, that would prevent you from jumping maybe i think i find myself jumping more often when my legs are perfectly straight um yeah i would say that's about it i don't, I don't really have the best best tips on that one let's see any tips for the backhand punch so the backhand punch is interesting because it's not really a punch people say it's a punch and i don't think that's the, really the right way to describe it because it's sort of a misrepresentation of what the shot actually is um when people think of a punch they think of a you know, a tense, maybe it's, you know, it's not a, a backhand punch to me almost feels like more of a backhand slap. It feels so loose. And I think that's actually the way to do it. It's almost it's similar to the overhead. And 
And I'm, I, if there's anything that I'm qualified to talk about, it is this, you know, this isn't resetting. I might not even be qualified to talk about resetting or, or thirds and fifths, but the backhand punch, I'm pretty good at. And for whatever reason, I, I naturally had that shot down. And then I kind of went back and looked and what, what worked for me and what didn't when I was developing that shot. Cause I never really thought about that shot. Um, it just happened. And I think the biggest thing for me was just being loose with my own. Um, the guys with the fastest hands, they're not tense. If you notice, it's almost across the board. Um, JW, another example of him, his arms are so loose and it's the same thing. If your arm is tense and you try to move it side to side, can't move it too quickly. A looser muscle moves faster. And that's a fact. So you think about the guys that, that really are tense. I'm not going to name any pros that are tense here, but I think those are the guys whose arms don't move as quickly. And I think that a lot of the tenseness stems from people that are trying to hit the ball too hard. So don't think about hitting a hard punch because you're going to tense up. It doesn't make sense. For me, the hardest to actually hit the backhand punch is when I'm not trying to hit it hard. And I'm usually not. I'm just trying to get it down and meet it out in front. So next time you do it, just keep a loose arm. Move your arm and move your paddle as quickly as you can. Don't try to muscle the backhand punch. It's not going to work. Um, and it actually did happen. It's funny because I was like, you know, a few months ago, I was messing around with my friends. They were like, James, you're hitting the backhand punch so hard. How hard can you hit it? And I was, you know, we were just drilling and they would speed it up. I mean, I was trying, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, let's try it. Let's see how hard I can hit this for fun. And I, as the harder I tried to hit it, the softer it would come off. And I was like, wait a second, that makes so much sense. Cause I never tried to hit this shot hard. And for whatever reason, it's one of the hardest shots that I hit. It's like, oh, okay. That's actually kind of funny, but it's, it really, you look at the pros that have the best backhand punches, their arms are so loose. It's almost like they're not trying to hit it hard. And I think there's a reason for that. So I think to summarize, when it comes to the backhand punch, keep a loose arm, meet it out in front and get it down. Don't try to muscle it. Don't try to hit it hard. Might end up hitting it out anyways. So whew, one more thing. Guys, this isn't easy. Talking to myself the entire time. I've got no breaks. I'm not listening. I'm not usually listening to Adam anyway. Uh, but now I don't even have to pretend like I'm listening to Adam. This is actually great. Um, <laughs> let's see. Last thing. Tips for the ATP. You know, I only recently learned how to hit the ATP. The ATP was one of the last shots that I learned how to hit. Um, and it's weird because it's a lot easier than people think that it is. And this is, you know, I hate to say it again, but I think one of the biggest mistakes people make on the ATP is they try to hit it so hard. You know, an ATP is just as effective, hit at like a mid-level pace, but this high off the ground, really low, as it is if you hit it you know, as hard as you possibly can. There's almost no difference, especially at the 4-5, 4-0 level. ATPs aren't really coming back if you hit them low. So for me, my main focus hitting ATPs was just keep it low. Keep it six inches off the ground, just linear right across, and don't hit it hard. There's no need to hit it hard. I think if you miss an ATP long, it's just so silly. Uh, it's really silly because even if it does come back and it's this high off the ground, that ATP defense is going to go up. And unless they hit a perfect reset, you're in a great spot to win the point. So I think that's the main thing. Just keep it low. But again, I only learned how to hit an ATP two months ago. 
So I probably shouldn't talk too much about this. I don't have too much advice. I think just keep it low and don't try to hit a amazing hard shot. Just keep it low. So that's all we got. Um, before I lose my voice, I will end this podcast. And um, as always, oh, before you go, hit up my virtual coaching. I'm virtually coaching people. Virtual coaching is a lot easier than in-person coaching. I can do it right here on the Zoom. So it's james-ignatowich.com. It's in my Instagram bio. Just go to my Instagram bio, you'll see it. And you can sign up for virtual coaching. I will coach you just like this. It's fun. And that's all we got. So hit up the virtual coaching and um, yeah, that's all. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.